Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Well, before I start today's message, how many people in the room got Taylor Swift tickets this week? Okay, okay, and this is, this is the part of the, okay, several, okay, that's good job, everybody. How, you can shout out here, how many hours did you have to stay on the phone? Five, okay, over here, seven, zero, Lucy, you said zero? Okay, so at the end of today's message, at the end of today's message, Chloe's going to lay hands on everyone. Like, what do you need? Just tell them what you need. Chloe's going to, she's going to bap you, okay? That's the way this works here at the Vineyard. Okay, I'm just being silly. Uh, If you're new here, my name is Adam, I'm the pastor, and we start a lot of messages like this. This This is what we do. Uh, here at the Vineyard. Uh, If you want to open up your book, open up your book, open up your Bible, any book, (laughs) Grapes of Wrath, just open it up. Open up your Bible to the book of Daniel. Uh, This is the final message in our very long series in the book of Daniel. And if you've been following along with us, you know that what we probably should do today is chapter 10, 11, and 12. Uh, got into it this week, and we're not doing that. And let me tell you why. Because there's so much happening in chapters 10, 11, and 12. I need two weeks to do it, but I only have this one week, and I couldn't fit it in. And I don't want to do the thing where I'm like shoving stuff, you know? I don't want to do that. So here's what we're going to do this, this morning. We're going to do a little synopsis, and we're going to have a message called Three Things We Learned. Three Things I Hope We Learned uh, from the book of uh, Daniel. We're just going to do a little bit of review and then that'll set us up because next week is the first week of Advent and that's why we have all of these decorations. And uh, not only that, but one more tiny announcement. Our very good friend uh, and worship leader, Taylor Linhart, will be here with us next week. It's going to be so good. Like it's just, it's going to be so good. We're, so, we're super, super happy. But today we're going to wrap up the book of Daniel with Christmas decorations all around. I've been thinking about how weird that was all week. Uh, But that's what we're going to do. And we're going to talk about three things we've learned. And here's what I want to highlight to us this morning. These three things. Number one, heaven and earth overlap. Uh, Number two, God rules the rulers. I got a slide for that one too, Robert. You like, guys, I am a designer. God rules the rulers. And then number three... We can live faithfully in a faithless world. These are the three things. Now, there's other things in the book of Daniel. We could have made this list a hundred long, right? But if I were to say, what are the three main things that I think keep popping out of the text? It's these three things. And I just want to sort of unpack them with us one more time here at the vineyard. Number one, heaven and earth overlap. Heaven and earth overlap. Uh, This is the biblical worldview. Uh, It's not just in the book of Daniel. It's all over the Bible. It's this idea that that heaven is not totally separated from the earth or that the earth is not totally isolated from the influence 
and the experience of heaven. In fact, they, they overlap. Uh, they overlap. Uh, that is all over the Bible, but it is really strong in the book of Daniel. You cannot read one page in the book of Daniel where you don't get this sense that heaven and earth are beginning to intersect in some profound way. It's everywhere. Now, the modern scientific worldview says, whatever your life is, it's just chemistry. You know, the world is rational. The world is physics and it's neurons. And and here's what we believe here at the Vineyard. The world is rational. The world is physics. The world is neurons. The world is chemistry. But that is not the only frame that explains the phenomena that is your life. That is a frame. It is not the frame. Uh, The biblical worldview is that there's more happening. And the biblical worldview is this, that you and I are not alone. Somebody in the room say, we are not alone. We are not alone. And some people listening to me at this point are probably saying, yes, yes, Adam. Uh, It seems like there's something else going on, or maybe to reflect into the metaphor we've been using for a few weeks, it seems like there's something upstairs. You know how we've been talking about this two-story house and everybody lives on the first floor? Yes, some people in the room might be thinking, well, Adam, it seems like there's something else upstairs. But, but that's, that's because of this thing or that thing that happens when neurological systems get upgraded to sufficient complexity. You know, if you listen to certain podcasts, and I listen to some of these podcasts, you'll, you'll hear these guys who are actually much smarter in this area than me. But basically what they'll argue is this. Well, your experience of consciousness or your experience of something transcendent or your experience of God, it's just what happens when neurological systems hit sufficient complexity. It gives us this like other thing. But what I would like to say is that's not actually the biblical worldview at all, that your neurons are sufficiently complex to give you things like like consciousness, but it doesn't explain the ways in which heaven and earth overlap, that there really is an upstairs to our house. And we see this everywhere in Daniel. And I just want to read a couple scriptures to you this morning. Daniel chapter 3, verse 25. This is a really great moment. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They don't bow down to the idol. And the king's like, throw them in the furnace, but wait first get the furnace hotter than we've ever gotten it. You know, you know that part? I love the detail. And it gets so hot that people who even get close to it could die, right? And they throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fire. And then look at what, look at what the king says. He says, I see four men. And I love this word, unbound. They were thrown in bound, right? I see four men unbound, walking around the fire unharmed, and the fourth one looks like a God. This, it's like a prophecy, right? Like right there in the middle of this narrative. And this is one of those places where you see heaven and earth beginning to overlap. And I would also like to note here uh, in this one text that when heaven and earth begin to overlap, what you have is you have freedom in the fire. Unbound. What does it look like when heaven and earth begin to overlap? Well, it, uh, people who are oppressed, they begin to, they begin to go free. And, and it's in that very place that God is most with you. The place you feel the most fire, that's a place where heaven and earth are overlapping. And that's actually part of the biblical worldview. It's not just that our house has an upstairs. It's not just 
that heaven and earth are overlapping, but in the place you feel the most fire is the place God is most obviously present with you. It's not just, it's not just you're having some sort of an experience. It's like in that place, God is with you. About, that was a pretty good point. You should have said amen. Um, but you have to work with me. You, you, listen, this is, I'm doing a thing and then you have to do a thing. We do this together. Uh, Daniel chapter 8, 15 and 16. Look at this. Daniel says, as I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of a vision. So he's had this vision, a vision that he's not making up, a vision he didn't ask for. Someone who looked like a man stood in front of me and I heard a human voice calling out from the Eli River, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of his vision. We'll just stop there. Why am I reading this? Daniel's having a vision that he didn't ask for. It's, it, it's coming into his life and then he gets the revelation or the interpretation of the vision from an angel named Gabriel. What is this? The things that are upstairs are beginning to come downstairs. It's heaven and earth are overlapping. And there are so many more examples. Daniel in the lion's den, all of Daniel's visions in chapter seven, eight, nine, and all the way to 12. Uh, not only that, but in the book of Daniel, even pagan kings have dreams and visions. It's not just that the Christians or the believers or God's people have dreams and visions and experiences and encounters and, and salvation. It's that pagan kings are experiencing what's upstairs coming downstairs to where they're at. This is the biblical worldview. Uh, in chapter five, there's writing on the wall. A hand appears. Everybody's had a, a lot to drink and all of a sudden words appear on the wall. There's not a single moment in the book of Daniel where you don't see God, angels, or the substance of heaven pouring in and over the world that everyone else lives in. Now, here, what does that mean? Here, here's what it means. It means that you and I should expect our lives to be intersected. It's normal, it's normal for human beings to have lives that are intersected by God. That's normal. It's not normal to live your whole life without having experiences of what's upstairs beginning to walk downstairs. That's not normal. That's not the biblical worldview. That's not what we have to experience. Uh, dreams, uh, visions, God's presence, all of that is normal Christian stuff. And it might be happening in your life already and you might not notice it's hard to see what you're not looking for. Have you ever noticed that? You don't see what you're not looking for? Well, let me flip it around the other way. How many of you have ever bought a new car and then you get out on the road and what do you see? You see a zillion cars that are your car. Did you see them the day before? No. Uh, you don't even know they're there. You, you know, you, don't, you have no clue. You didn't even know there was a Subaru Forester but you buy a Subaru Forester and suddenly Campbellsville turns into Portland, Oregon. <laughs> That's how it works. That's like the world is, the world is filled with a certain kind of magic. The world is filled with the presence of God. But if there's no expectation and if there's no looking for it, you can just, you can just miss it. You can just miss it. So, so, what does it mean? It means that heaven and earth is overlapping. It's not just for special people like Daniel. It's not just for evil people like Nebuchadnezzar. It's for normal people. And if we begin to look for it, we will find it. 
God is, God is showing up. And like, Chloe got tickets. Like, she just pushed the button. Like, that's all that it took. Like, some of, some of you people need prayer. Some of you stayed online for seven hours. We need, we need to cast that off of you. No. But heaven and earth, they're actually overlapping. Expect God to be active and watch out. That's what I would say. Expect God to be active. I could tell you like a hundred stories about God showing up. What's upstairs? It's coming downstairs. Number two, God rules the rulers. Put my nice graphic up. Thank you. Man, Eric Kirchin has nothing on me. I'm going to make a t-shirt out of this. God rules the rulers. This is, this is massive in the book of Daniel. I mean, if there's any, ma- if there's any message, it's, it's this. God rules the rulers. Uh, there are so many kings named in the book of Daniel. In fact, probably more kings are named in the book of Daniel uh, more than any other place in the, in the whole Bible other than the book of Kings. Like, so if you take the book of Kings out and you were just to isolate, like, where are people? It's like Daniel over and over again. The people who are ruling, they're named. So you got Nebuchadnezzar, you have Belshazzar, you have Darius the Mede. Uh, all of those are named in the text. And then there's other rule, rulers who are named in prophetic visions but they're named through symbols. So we have references to Alexander the Great. We have references to Antiochus, uh, Epiphanes. Uh, and over and over again, kings are named. And not just kings, but powerful kingdoms. Uh, Babylon, Persia, uh, the Medes, the Greeks, the Romans. They're all named and pointed to in the book of Daniel. There's this, there's this epic scale. But above the kingdoms and above the kings is the creator of the universe, and it's on every page in the book of Daniel. I want to read a text to you. Daniel chapter 4, 24 through 26. This is after, this is after Nebuchadnezzar's had a dream, and Daniel shows up to tell Nebuchadnezzar what it means. He says, this is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High, capitalized, underlined, Most High has declared will happen to my Lord the King. You'll be driven from human society and you will live in the fields with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like a cow and you'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass until, uh, and you'll live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses, but the stump and the roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. In the book of Daniel, God rules the rulers. Here's what that means. It means that right now there's a power that sits above all the powers. There is a power that sits above all the powers. Above the president right now, there is a power that sits above the president. Um, above the people who have the nuclear codes around the world, uh, whoever those people are, there is a power that sits above the nuclear codes. Uh, there is a power that sits above the parties in our government. Uh, there is a power that sits above the billionaire class. Right now, there is a power that sits above Elon Musk. There is a power that sits above Bill Gates. Uh, these are not the most powerful forces in our world. Uh, there is a king in heaven who is in control, 
and he will have the final say. Uh, the ultra-rich in the tech industry are laying people off like crazy. But above the folks who are calling the shots at companies that shape our world, there is a God in heaven. Uh, and there are a zillion implications, but here are a few key insights that I'd like to share with you this morning. Uh, number one, all earthly power is borrowed. All earthly, like, you know, we get really upset or we get really anxious about, you know, who's the president or who has Congress or who has the House. Can I tell you something? Whatever power they have, at best, it is borrowed. At best, it is borrowed. And this means it will change. God rules the rulers. Number two, kings and kingdoms come and go. Kings and kingdoms come and go. Uh, it's like the weather in Kentucky. You don't like it? Just wait. Just wait. You know, you think, oh, you know, our particular political persuasion has finally gotten the power. And if you're feeling really good about that, uh, here's what I want you to know. It's going to go. It's, it's just springtime in Kentucky. You know, you're real happy because the Democrats are got some control. It's just springtime in Kentucky. It's going to change. And if you attach your happiness to that, you have, you have sown into the wrong thing because God rules the rulers. It's like, the, it's like Kentucky weather. It's going to change. It will, it will come and it will go. Number three, this is also very important. God sees and God knows. God sees and God knows. God knows exactly what's happening in Washington and he knows what's happening in Seattle and God knows what's happening in Silicon Valley right now. And at the Twitter headquarters, God knows what it is. He's the one who's calling the shots. And here's what that means. It means that as Christians, we can live with confidence. We can live with confidence no matter who's in power, no matter who's in power and no matter who holds office and no matter where the economy is, up or down, God sees and knows and he will eventually take action. It means, it means this as well. It means we would do well to know God and to put our energy into his, into his hands and into his kingdom. Like, you, this is the message of Daniel. Why waste your life on what is passing away? Why waste your life on what is passing away? Or why give your strength and heart to systems that won't matter in a decade, let alone a thousand years? Why give any of that to things that are passing away? Now, uh, here's the other part. Should you work hard? Yes, you should work hard. Uh, should, you, should you tend to your family and community? Of course, but build a life as best you can, all of that. But give the strength, to your, uh, the strength of your heart. If you give it to any party or any team or any boss or any country, you're doomed. God rules the rulers. As uh, Wendell Berry says, invest in the millennium. This is what Christians should do. Invest in the millennium. Plant trees that you'll never see fully mature. Look after widows. Look after orphans. This is true religion. Uh, trust in chariots and horses? Never. Why? Because there's a God in heaven whose kingdom will never end. And, and we have to find our stability there. So number one, heaven and earth are overlapping. Number two, God rules the rulers and then number three, 
We can live faithful in a faithless world. We can live faithful in a faithless world. Robert, can we put up the scripture from Daniel chapter 6? This is, this is that Daniel on the lion's den moment, and what a perfect picture of living faithful in a faithless world. Here's what it says. It says, give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone divine or human except to you, the Babylonian king, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. And so an official law of the Medes and Persians can't be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned about the law that had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. You can live faithful in a faithless world. This is everywhere in the book of Daniel. The entire book happens in a moment when the people of God were being ruled by another culture. And it was a series of cultures that didn't care about the, the Hebrew God. Uh, no one in the book of Daniel cares about Yahweh except Daniel. Like literally no one. No one cares about Yahweh. The Persians and the Medes didn't care. The Babylonians didn't care. Israel was completely surrounded and beholden to powers that were not only ignorant of their God, but they were actually hostile to them. You know, like Nebuchadnezzar wasn't just ignorant of Yahweh. He was actually hot. He was like, you know, why don't we just throw you and your friends into the fire? You know, you don't, you, this is not what we do here in Babylon. Uh, remember that at the beginning of the book of Daniel, how Daniel and his friends were taken from their homes and they were put into the service of Nebuchadnezzar. But in doing so, it was complete re-education, right? They had to learn Babylonian language, Babylonian customs, Babylonian religion. And we had talked a long time about how the point of that was to delete their Hebrew culture, especially their, their connection to Yahweh. But Daniel is an example that we can be faithful in a faithless world. And, and at this point, I would just like to say to the church, there are so many overlapping points of relevance for our modern predicament. Like this, this idea of living faithful in a faithless world, gosh, I don't know if there's a book in the Bible that is, is so pregnant with a word that maybe we need in modern America. Uh, I know that we've heard for a long time, like America is a Christian nation. Not really, not really. That's like a narrative, but it's not really all that true. We're, we've rapidly become post-Christian, post-Christian. And right now in the modern West, we're caught between two great extremes. On the one hand, on the one hand, uh, everything's just chemicals and neurons. It's just matter. It's just substance. And then on the other hand, on the other hand, there is this influx of what I would call neo-paganism that is, that is emerging and is causing people to lean into any form of transcendence that has nothing to do with, with Christians or with Jesus, Right? So on the one hand, it's like, it's just chemicals. And then in other certain segments of society, it's like a neo-paganism that's any form of transcendence that deletes Jesus. And here's what I'm talking about on this side. I'm talking about um, there is a tremendous influx of like interest in astrology, uh, tarot cards, 
um, all forms of white magic. Uh, this, is, this is everywhere. And it's, it's deeply, deeply anti-Christian. And it's deeply, deeply, it's a window into the human heart that's aching for transcendence. And it's mostly people who, who are fed up with like the church or whatever their Christian experience was growing up. And there's lots of reasons for this. And I'd like to just unpack them because they're, I think, pretty important. Um, number, one, number one, we're 25 years into uh, what I would call digital distraction. And so we're coming, into, we're coming into contact with things that in many ways, 40 years ago, you'd never even see because the proximity was so far away, right? So on either extreme. So the digital tube that comes through our phones to us makes things available to us that just weren't even around 40 years ago, but now everything that's in the world is, is being piped to you. And then on top of that, you have what I would call digital distraction. So uh, the phone or the internet in many ways, it, 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 it causes our, our gaze and it causes our attention to be moved away from maybe the most important things. Like the algorithms are trying to train you to be a customer rather than a disciple, right? Like Amazon wants to make you a good Amazon disciple and Apple wants to make you a good Apple disciple and Spotify wants to keep you and Instagram wants to keep you and all of these things are doing everything they can to delete from you God consciousness. They, like what they want is you to press buy. That's literally all they want, right? So you, we're caught in this world where there's two extremes, like it's just chemicals or there's like neo-paganism. And one of the main reasons is because we're, we're, we're just like digitally distracted. And not only that, but we're seeing things maybe we never saw. Then if you mix that with major Christian leaders behaving very badly, so take 25 years of digital distraction and things coming to us that we wouldn't have seen 40 years ago, then you mix that with Christian leaders, prominent Christian leaders behaving very badly. And we'll name a couple, okay? Mark Driscoll. If you didn't listen to the Mars Hill podcast, listen to two episodes. You should, because it, it, it's an example of like people that other people thought was doing a really good thing, like behaving very badly. And it's an example of how in the American church, the, we've allowed the ends to justify the means, right? We'd let somebody behave really badly because some people were getting saved, you know? And, and that's the Mark Driscoll story. Or, or Ravi Zacharias. Like, that story is deplorable. And then on top of that, you've got Willow Creek. Millions and millions of Christians thought Willow Creek in Chicago was, was everything. Meanwhile, their leader behaving very, very badly. And what this does is it, it turns people not just away from the church, but it turns people away from Jesus, so you have digital distraction, you have Christian leaders behaving very, very badly, and you have, you have decades now, I would say four hardcore decades of pairing Christianity with party politics. Okay, uh, if you want to know why young people do not want to be Christians, the number one reason, now this is anecdotal, this is just my experience, right? Young people who talk to me, but I've talked to a lot of other pastors, so this is pretty normal, the number one reason that young people have distanced themselves from the church and from Jesus is the connection between politics and your faith. That's devastating. 
absolutely devastating. Uh, that has run people out of Jesus's arms. And, and then you add on top of that, it's the nature of culture just to keep moving. Uh, nothing in life is static. If it's not moving, it's dead. That's just the way it is. So culture keeps moving. People are fickle and, and our culture has moved and it keeps moving. And in many ways, it keeps moving away from Jesus. Um, I've, been, I've been really gutted by the way that marriages just dissolve so easily. It's, it's the saddest thing to me. And, and the powers of the age are often hostile to genuine faith. And if they're not hostile, they're at least bewildered. And, and, and you could wonder, what's a Christian? What's a Christian to do? How do you live? Uh, is it even possible to be a Christian in the world that we have now? Are you depressed? I wanted to get us all the way down. You might be wondering, is it even possible? Is it even possible? And here's the good news, and here's the message of Daniel. Not only is it possible, but people of faith actually thrive in these moments. Like, we were built for this. We were built for this. Faithless world, being a person of faith in a faithless world, Christians were built for this. Always, always, always. You can read church history from Daniel, any point forward, any point in the Bible, but then even on up through church history, over and over again, when things get really, really dark, true Christians and the real church begins to shine. And here's what I would like to say. The more our church begin, the more the world begins to say, well, it's just chemicals or it's just neurons, or the more the world just begins to say, you know what we need? We need, we need some tarot cards, some magic mushrooms, and to astral project ourselves to the universe, the more we live in a world that's caught between those two things, I want to tell you, Jesus will pour his glory on his church. It is a perfect time to be a Christian. Not only can we survive in this, we can actually thrive. That's the message of Daniel. You and I can live faithful in a faithless world. Daniel was faithful in a pagan culture and where the consequence for non-participation was. It's like, you don't participate in the culture? We just kill you, you know? And he thrived. And I wanna, I wanna talk about that just for a moment. Daniel thrived. We can be faithful. Well, how? How did Daniel thrive and how could we thrive? Uh, it's actually two things. Number one, by remaining connected to God. And the thing we see in Daniel is he was a person of prayer and a person of the scriptures. If you want to thrive in a faithless world, become a person of prayer and a person of the scriptures. So number one, connected to God. You have to connect to God. If you don't connect to God, it won't work. You have to connect to God. Prayer and the scriptures. But then number two, how can you be faithful in a faithless world? Number two, this is a, the one that sometimes we struggle with. Um, being excellent in our worldly service. So Daniel never wavered in his connection to God, but Daniel also kicked butt at his job. Kicked butt at his job. And why is that important? Well, let me ask you this question. Have you ever noticed that there's more grace for folks who can deliver? Yeah. Anybody ever, anybody ever had a person on their team who was exceptionally talented, but a little hard to get along with? And have you noticed that there's just more grace for that person? The person who can deliver has more grace. And Daniel was a person who could deliver. 
Over and over again in the book of Daniel, it says something like this about him. Oh, Daniel was excellent in everything. Whatever, whatever the, the, the ruling class of Babylon had, Daniel had more. And it was just like hard work, grit, smarts, application, determination. And so, and so even though he lived in a faithless world that didn't honor Yahweh or the God of the Hebrews, because Daniel was so good at his job, Nebuchadnezzar would do this. I guess we'll keep him. I mean, they drive, he drives me crazy with the praying thing, you know? And Darius, after he signed the thing about getting thrown into the lion's den, Darius was like, I don't want to throw him in. Why? Because he's useful to me, right? Like this guy is really useful to me. One of the reasons there's been very little grace for Christians in our current world is because many, many have been known for the very things that are opposed to Jesus, and also because so many Christians have not pushed themselves toward excellence in their jobs and in their craft. This is, you know, sometimes, sometimes we think, oh, the world doesn't like Christians because, because we're persecuted. No, sometimes the world doesn't like Christians because we behave like not Christians and because we're not good at our jobs. Like we have no integrity. Like love the Lord and kick butt at work. There'll be more grace. You know, this is the message of Daniel. And what does that mean? It means it's a great time to be a Christian and it's possible to live like Daniel in a culture like ours. I want to land on this, this, this idea of translation. Uh, our, our culture is oftentimes either mystified or upset with people of faith. You know, it's like, they just like don't get it or a little bit hostile. And it occurs to me that one of the things that Daniel was most known for throughout the book of Daniel was his ability to translate and interpret. You know, uh, the king would have a dream. I don't know what it means. Daniel's like, well, I can interpret that for you. There'd be writing on the wall and nobody could read it. And Daniel's like, well, I can translate that for you. And it occurs to me that he had a way of putting the things of God into the language of his day. And what, a, what an invitation for us. What an invitation for us. And what a, what a prayer for us this morning that we could be interpreters and translators of the things of God for the culture that we live in. Here's what that will require of you and I, though. Two things. Number one, to actually know God. But number two, to actually know the world as it is. You can't translate for the world if you don't know the world as it is. So I believe the invitation for us this morning is to live aware of the fact that heaven and earth are overlapping, that God wants to intersect your life. Number two, that God rules the rulers so you and I don't have to be anxious about who has the power or who has the money or if the economy is up or down. Like, we're Christians. We just, you know, we believe in miracles. We believe that God will, will carry us when we're the most weak. And then number three, number three, uh, uh, we can be faithful in a faithless world. Uh, we can be interpreters and we can be translators because we're connected to God we're connected to God, but also, but also because we're connected to the world in which we live in. Amen? Amen. Three reflections from the book of Daniel. Why don't you stand up? And if you're on the worship team, come on down, just like the price is right. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.